and welcome to the SAP Concur Conversations podcast. Each episode, we sit down with industry experts, visionaries, and leaders as they share what it takes to build forward-thinking spend and travel programs. Our goal is to get you thinking differently about how your organization spends money. I'm your host, Jean Dyan. I'm the Vice President of the Value Experience Team here at SAP Concur, and my team works with our customers to bring about positive business outcomes based on data-driven insights. So I'm especially excited about today. <laughs> I'm joined today by CJ Koick of Modus. In this episode, we're going to discuss the power of data in mobile workforce solutions and explore the important role data plays in storytelling how to provide data so it can be leveraged in strategic ways, and how automation and AI are shifting the roles of data. CJ, we have a lot to cover and I'm super excited, but first, would you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure, thanks, Jean. Great to be here. So my name's CJ. I'm a product manager of Modus's Insights, which is basically our customer data services, things like reporting, dashboards, other things. And our mission is to make data accurate, available, and actionable to our customers. I've been at Modus since early 2022, and I've been working in different product roles since about 2017. So it's been a great journey so far, and I'm really looking forward to talking about all the ways that data can be helpful with you. Well, okay, I'm gonna just dive right in. Data is a really powerful thing, but what I've seen is that data is really just a lot of numbers, unless you understand how to use it to your advantage. And I'm gonna admit, math was never my strong suit in school, but storytelling was. Every piece of data tells a story, but CJ, how do we harness the power of data to tell a story. Sure. And it's interesting you brought up math. I was actually a, a math major in, in college. Wasn't the, the best by any means, but to your point, the numbers are really just kind of the ingredients or tools or you know bricks of the, the Lego set. They don't know what questions you want answered. And so if you were to look at my notebooks from later in, in math, you actually wouldn't really see any numbers. It would just be formulas and theories and stuff, just kind of those, those stories that you want the numbers to help you tell. And part of my current role at Modus that's really exciting is get to help tell the numbers what sort of questions you want answered and even start to start to help predict the questions that data wants answered. But those those formulas, those theories from a mathematical standpoint would be kind of that storytelling way or just how do you get the numbers to to do what you what you want and then the rest just kind of becomes logistics of running them through those setups. Yeah. And because data can tell multiple stories, depending on what you want to have answered, how would you go about thinking what your data strategy should be? I know there's so many data points to pick from. Do you have some advice for anybody as they're starting out this journey, what they're looking to track or maybe tag? Yeah. And it's even advice for myself. Sometimes I, you know, I can really quickly get out ahead of myself a couple steps down the road. And so I would say patience is an undervalued virtue with data and analytics and other things. It's okay to pick a few ideas because there's so much data out there. You know, at, at Modus, we're working with you know lots of drivers across the U.S. and, and Canada. It's okay to, in, in your context, pick just a few ideas, test them out, see where those take you, and allow those initial ideas to 
help spark new ideas or tweak those original ideas. And the other key thing too, it's also okay for some of those ideas to not work out and to abandon the ones that, that aren't actually helpful. So storytelling is a, is a key skill. And then I would say patience is, is another learned skill with, uh, with these things. Well, you know, so here at SAP Concur, part of what we're doing when we look at data, we're looking for value and value realization. We tie it to some specific buckets, control and compliance, bank governance, employee experience, and optimization or expansion. We've found that pretty much any data point falls into one of those four buckets. And we could tell a story in each one of those different scenarios with one data point, depending on what we're trying to solve for and what our customers are looking to solve for. So those value pillars and how data aligns differently to each story is really a way for you to take the data and allow the data to bring you to a solution. It's a tool that you have to work with, but the data doesn't necessarily tell you what to do. You have to ask it questions first. So. I appreciate that approach that you're taking. It's really great. And I know I want to take a little step back a bit. And I know our customers know Modus for mileage. You mentioned mileage, but there is far more that you all are working on. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about where your product lines work in that employee driven spend area of the universe. Yeah, certainly. So. Like you said, most people will know us for business mileage reimbursements and some of the special programs you can create with those. And we also have lines around different types of personal and work devices, uh, worker living costs, driver safety information, and vehicle emissions reporting. And I would say really the thing that, that unifies a lot of those is Modus is great at being able to localize a lot of data. So we actually most years help the IRS set the, the cent per mile reimbursement rate because we have so many data points around trips and, and gas and other things, but we can use that data as well for, like I said, cost of living or device costs down to you know workers' zip code. And yeah, it's, it's really fun for, for me. Then I get to figure out all the best ways to help show that information and, and both tell those stories to our, our customers and also give them the tools to be able to tell the stories within their organizations as part of insights. Yeah. So this is an area where you're using data to help your customers to not only save money, but to solve for some of the business problems. Yes. How have data analytics helped change in that perspective? What are you using data analytics for and, and how can people think about data analytics? Sure. So I would say we have just recently started our journey with Insights. Our, our first emphasis was on making the data more flexible. So we just recently rolled out custom report builder and automation tool to help our customers create a specific types of reports that they want to view and be able to schedule reminders for themselves if they know they need to check. They know they need to answer the same question at repeated intervals or at a, at a future time, take that cognitive load off of them. And then uh, some of the things that we're starting to look at as well is now that we have that data more, more flexible, what are some ways that we can you know, further improve that or shrink that time it takes to get the, the answer to the questions that you want to have. And even you know, further, further down the line, can we even get to where we can help suggest and predict the questions that you'll want to ask of your, of your data so that 
we, we want to streamline your workflows and not end up, you know, bogging them down. Like, you know, like you mentioned, there's, there's so much data out there that if you get a little ahead of yourself, you might, might end up accidentally making something that makes your, your work more complicated when you're trying to make it more, more streamlined. And if we were to think about this in an everyday kind of thing that we could all relate to, you've actually mentioned something to me that I had a bit of a light bulb moment. You had talked about how this using this data in running your business is actually close to health monitoring. Can you talk a little bit more about that philosophy around the health monitoring of your business? Yeah, certainly. And I I think this will become a bigger trend as more and more automation starts happening around some of uh, ours and other businesses' core workflows is particularly in the area of reporting and analyzing those business workflows that when so many of them are automated, a lot of the questions that you're asking of your data is around the exceptions to those you know, automated happy paths. And so that becomes, like you said, closer to a health monitoring question of how many exceptions are, are happening, how many times you know, does a, a human have to proof check what our code's been able to do. And you can have, and we've talked about it a few times already, but you can have multiple exceptions coming from different data points because you can set you know, the, the types of thresholds that you'll want to set for your business will be, you know, again, some of those small ideas that you'll want to try out to figure out which ones are, are actually most valuable to you. Exceptions are somewhere that it's very, very tempting to just set a million different thresholds. And at the end of the day, like a human's actually working harder to check on all of these than what you had before. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like an over-engineering of a process that's supposed to be quite simple and prevent risk actually ends up causing an enormous amount of risk because people will try to go around it or they'll figure out ways to walk through it. And so the data that you're getting actually isn't really reflective of what's actually happening. Yeah. And you could, and you could even have, you know, when you, when you have a thousand, you know, exception flags to check, you might end up ignoring the ones that are, that are actually real risk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. That happens to me. I think about that and and talk to customers about that a lot. That yellow flag fatigue is a real thing. And even though you're trying to direct somebody on how to do something correctly, there might be other ways to get that done. And data is a really great way to take a look at some of that employee-driven spend. The spend's already happened, so the toothpaste is out of the tube in many cases, but data can help you then determine how you can fix some of that front-end problem so that you don't end up with that at the back end. It's a, it's a really great tool that I think people forget about using when it comes to that idea of compliance and governance. It, your spend has happened. We have to accept that. <laughs> yeah. But how can we fix it in the future? And which is a, the exact analogy of health monitoring. You mm-hmm. have a current condition that's happened. How do we go back and fix it? Yeah, it's part of why, like, you know, my my elevator pitch for most insights, like I said, that the data needs to be accurate, available, and actionable. And I would say that order is is very important to accurate, obviously, is the uh, the main value of the data if it's not accurate. It's not going to help you answer any questions, but to your point, the events have already happened. And so yep. having that data available to have the visibility of you know, what, what has truly happened before you get to the actionable part of what are we now going to, to do about it? Sometimes people can try to skip to the actionable part before they've, they've really had the chance to, to marinate in what the data is actually showing. Yeah. 
we're solutioning for something that we don't really know what the root cause is. So I do want to bring in another element, though, of data, and you kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier, and that's that idea of artificial intelligence. And I know everybody's so tired of hearing about artificial intelligence, but it really isn't all that scary when you think about it. In fact, we use it every day and we don't realize it, whether it's a recommendation from Netflix or Amazon or Google, or it's something that's going to tell you what's happening from a traffic perspective with like Google Maps, it knows what's happening all around and it's gonna reroute you or Waze or whatever tool you're using. So AI is a tool and it helps you work more effectively. You know, I always like to say, AI isn't going to take your job or replace you, but a person who uses AI will. So I'm just a little curious about how you see AI changing the industry. Yeah, I like you're saying it's it's a tool. And you know, if I still had my my math major notebooks, it would be those those formulas that you run the the numbers through. You know, it's it's a, a different kind of tool because it can help come up with with questions for the data on its on its own. But I would say it's really similar to or builds on that health monitoring analogy of, of before where the the real purpose of it is to be a helper rather than a replacer. And all the things that, that we've said before would, would still apply where, you know, an AI, just because a recommendation comes from an AI doesn't mean it's, it's a good recommendation. Mm -hmm. Part of what makes them helpful tools is a lot of times people are helping the AI, quote unquote, learn what is actually valuable and, and what isn't. And, you know, it's certainly something that that I'm looking at a, a lot in, in my space with Modus. I, I think it's great for things like anomaly detection, again, getting back to that exceptions where we might know a lot of the thresholds that we want to set for, for our business, but AI can be helpful in uncovering other types of valuable exceptions and anomalies that we might not we might not see otherwise. And then similarly, especially as you get more automation of, of core workflows, you might have some AI that's helping you automize, automate your, your business processes. And you might have other ones that are basically evaluating and analyzing the core workflows and helping come up with suggestions for how to further optimize and, and streamline those processes. And I realize, you know, a lot of times people think that that sounds like code for cutting people, but I see it more as a, a big productivity enabler, similar to how, you know, when, when search engines first came out, it took a while for people to figure out how to best hit different keywords for Google or, or Yahoo or Ask Jeeves back in the day, even. And now there's, you know, there's whole industries around SEO and other things. So it's, we're probably on the, the start of things like, like that. And it's really exciting, especially for, for where I'm working right now. Yeah, I like that idea because you did mention earlier, AI isn't the be all and end all. You still need humans in there to help interpret or to story tell. Like we said before, data is just numbers unless you know the question you're trying to resolve. And so it takes a human mind, at least at this point, to do that. ChatGPT, as good as it is, has some quirks about it. So you still need some people in there to drive this conversation and to drive the movement from what the data is telling you. So I, I like that, that piece of it. And so if we looked at something like if we were to just take, uh, I don't know, an expense management perspective, if we look at oversight of some of the vehicle, I 
for lack of a better term, philosophy that an organization has where they may have like company cars and they have individual mileage and they, they have a number of other things. How can we use data from that expense management perspective, try to give somebody a, a real understanding of a real life situation where they could use some of this data? Yeah, so uh, th there's a couple of scenarios that I've even seen come up with our recent launch, if you don't mind me using my own product again. In Modus's key processes with those vehicle reimbursements, a lot of times we get questions around things like which trips were logged on a weekend you know, over the past reimbursement cycle, or when are my drivers starting out their day? Like uh, what time of day does their first trip start? Some of these can be can be fairly simple questions. I, wanna, I don't want to get too into the to the weeds, but, but yeah, our, our philosophy, like I, uh, like I said, was giving ourselves more flexibility around creating the views to, to be able to answer those questions more easily uh, in a report view. And we're working on making it available as, as different dashboard widgets and stuff as well. And in an expense thing, all those to your point with the expense management are ultimately around how do we help support the approver of those expenses, be able to um, be able to answer the questions they have while they're trying to make sure that that worker is, is paid accurately and, and on time. So for, you know, business mileage, you know, making sure that in that review period, you know, they cannot just see what amount the, the driver is requesting, but they can quickly narrow in on which trips might have the most questions around them to make sure that they approve or reject the appropriately. The other thing I think about with data, and it's top of mind for everybody in organizations around the globe, and it ties back to that sustainability. As we look at data for sustainability and the we, we still don't have I guess in the EU, there's a certain amount of standardization of what needs to be done, but globally, we're still kind of working through that. I know in the United States, we're still working through with the SEC what, what's going to be reported on. How do you see data as supporting some of that sustainability and, and where are we going with that kind of approach for data-driven sustainability reporting? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. It's something I've been looking more into recently. Modus is pretty well positioned to be a, a good piece of that of that puzzle because we have so much data around business vehicle mileage and uh, things like that. We can easily you know cross check that with like the EPA ratings of those vehicles and and help contribute to the reporting that that some companies have to have to do around their sustainability initiatives. It's even interesting. I was uh, just checking or reading up on some of it today. And uh, e even the, the actual emissions around the gathering and storing of data and some of the warehouses and cloud infrastructure and other things that I'm, I'm seeing more things around. So it's, you know, you can just, you can spiral all the way down <laughs> on some of it, but it's, it's very, it's, it's a fascinating new, new frontier for, for me, I know later to it than uh, than some people, but but yeah, it definitely is something that we can get a lot of data around, and then use that historical data that we that we find to help project things, um, potentially see seasonability. You know, for for utilities, they obviously use a lot of this stuff to project peak demand and other things, or you know, factory outputs, those, those sorts of things. Uh, so it's, I think you'll see a lot more, a lot of people coming up with better, better questions than I've come up with in the last 30 seconds uh, in, in the, in the coming months and years. 
No, I think your questions are fine. I think we're all struggling to figure out what those main questions are. We've all been kind of anticipating and guessing at it. It will be really a welcome relief when they actually tell us exactly what it is they want us to report on. Because to your point, we have a lot of historical data that can help us be a little more predictive in how things are happening. So tying back again to that whole AI and predictive type of work that's going to be coming down the pipe for our, our data. But it's a new and exciting field that we're all just kind of trying to get to. I was speaking to somebody else who said, you know, we've had what was it 3000 years to do financial reporting and you know starting with the abacus and this is just still really new so there's going to be some to your point starts and stops with the data of what we really want and how we're going to get it so i i think it ties nicely back into what we were talking about earlier Another interesting thing, even particularly around uh, sustainability and other initiatives, another trend that, that you might start to see and another potential use case for AI is, is the easier creation of what some call synthetic data, where you're kind of creating pretend in, in many ways. It's not based on, on real events, but it's meant to look like real events. And you can leverage those for things like scenario planning or, or demos and, uh, and other sorts of things. And I think sustainability is a, a big area where, where that could could have value where you're not just looking back in time for historical events, but you know we see a lot in the in the news around you know big anomalies. I know both you and I are stuck under the heat dome right now. Yeah, being able to not just uh, not just do some predictions around historical trends, but then also be able to try and scenario plan for potential outlier events and other things will be interesting to see what what people are able to do. Yep, I a hundred percent agree with that. That's really amazing part. So I usually try to take away three things from every conversation because I'm that person that likes to think in threes, Fibonacci's numbers, you know, three is a magic number from Schoolhouse Rock and three is the big thing for me. So um, I'm going to tell you what I think I've taken away. And if you have any feedback on that, please let me know. Mm -hmm. uh, but the first one that I took away, and it's the three A's, again, three, accurate, available, actionable. You really need your data to be all three of those things to be truly effective in helping drive change within your organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I'd say, uh, I know I mentioned a little bit earlier, but I, I'd say you'd want to also go in that order, you know, first making sure that your data is accurate, then working on making it available and and then making it actionable and uh, it also helps build the the patience that i know we talked about at the beginning yeah <laughs> yeah so and and you're right data requires some of that patience it may or may not actually work out and i think sometimes that's why people are hesitant to make the data available to people mm -hmm. at that that second part of it because what if there is a mistake in how we've quote interpreted it or what if we've focused on the wrong piece of data so people have a tendency to hoard some of that data instead of making it more generally available so that everybody has a context around the problem that people are solving for so i, I think you're right actually in that order i love that order itself this is really great so the second piece i took away you monitor your health, you should be monitoring your organization's health as well. You know, there's 
all sorts of questions around how you do your work better, what you're actually working to, and what are the goals and objectives that you're trying to contribute to. And so uh, you gave the great example of exceptions, that idea that, you know, sometimes we set thresholds so high for exceptions that we end up kind of diluting the message. But just like with your health, if you have an exception around one of your metrics in health, let's say your blood pressure, then you can use that information that comes from that wider health screening of how to make that better. I think it's the same for business, right? Yeah, yeah. And and I would say also like you can have kind of milestones, you know, in like a you know personal health journey, if you know you're looking to, you know, be able to do 10 pull-ups. For example, you know, you can say like, I want to be able to do one pull-up. I want to be able to do two. I want to do five. And you can have a similar or an analogous business or organizational thing for that, where you can test out different things that get you directionally going that way. You don't have to jump from, from start to finish right away. Yeah. Those performance indicators are huge, right? And, and to your point, it's not all or nothing. It's, Mm -hmm. it can be a journey. It's that. Wayne Gretzky idea of, I don't skate where the puck is, I'm skating to where the puck will be. And so without that type of iterative performance indicator, you don't know where your puck is going to end up. Yeah. All right. My third one is this. Data is probably the most powerful tool you have in your toolkit for affecting change. It's not so much the data itself but it's a tool in part of that storytelling that gets you to where you need your organization to be. So there's lots of pieces and tools within the data umbrella, but data itself is a very powerful tool. And like anything else, you need to use that tool wisely. You wouldn't use a screwdriver to hammer in a nail. And the same way that you wouldn't use a hammer to screw in a, a screw itself into the wall. So knowing how to use those tools and what to use them for is really critical for every organization. Yeah, yeah. And to your point, the, the, the data can help you both craft the, the story that, that you're looking to tell, but then it can also help emphasize the points that you're trying to do, even in, you know, not, not just the data points that, that you gather, but I would say, again, selfishly with my own product area, but the presentation that you do of it, what format uh, you put it in can really help draw attention to the areas that, that you're looking to emphasize. Yeah. That's a great point that you just brought up because so I'm a visual person. I either learn by breaking things or by seeing things visually. Those are my those are my two go-tos for learning. I'm not somebody who sits down and looks at a whole stack of numbers and can really analyze what comes out of it. So that format of how you're presenting it and knowing your audience for data presentation is really important, right? So somebody like me is going to want to see it in a dashboard. Somebody else who maybe works in finance wants to see just rows of numbers and an Excel spreadsheet that they can then pivot table to however they want, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and part of the the fun in, in my role is is figuring out how to how to cover both of those, both of those personas that you're able to to get the data in the format that you want, uh, which is, it's, it's a fun challenge. Personally, I tend to be a little bit more towards, towards your area of of visual learning. So it's it's great to meet people like me and people not like me. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm going to say this is a historic moment in the podcast right now, because we have just added a three, a 
to my list of three. So it's technically not a full four, but it's a 3A and that idea that because data is a tool, part of that tool set is understanding who your audience is and providing the correct format for that mm -hmm. data as well. Right. Well, congratulations, you've hit the history button. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Well, and thank you, CJ, for talking to me. I really appreciate the insights that you have. And I'm really excited to see the new set of data analytics that we can see through our partners in MODIS. So thank you again. Thank you. Yeah, this was a ton of fun. Yeah. So and thank you all for listening to this episode of SAP Concurs Conversations podcast. To hear more exclusive insights and interviews from the world of business travel, expense, and invoice processing, please be sure to subscribe and listen wherever you find your podcasts. And please join us again for our next SAP Concur conversation. <laughs>